Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Yet another busy news week means yet another great guest on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Hang tight. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Goldco. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. I'm Dr. Jason Nichols, and that is my good friend, Vince Colonnese. Vince, we have a very special, important guest, someone who people have <laughs> seen over and over again, very opinionated member of Congress. Who's with us today? We have uh, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan joining us uh, for the first time. So glad that's happening. Congressman, great to have you with us, sir. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's just, it's already, it's just been a wild week. What What is the, um, it, does the tenor ever change within Congress? Is it always just crazy all the time? Or does, <laughs> does now feel like a particularly fraught moment? I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of concern about a war yeah. overseas and yeah, uh, sure. certainly a lot of domestic issues at the same time. No, it, it feels like the intensity has, has picked up. Um, I, I, I would say since, uh, you know, when, when President Trump ran and got elected and then just the, the left went crazy going after President Trump. So I always felt like, you know, they were in two impeachments and the Mueller and all, all that. So I just felt like the intensity and the sort of the, 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 the divisiveness here has, uh, has increased over the last uh, several years. Um, I don't know that, that that's all healthy for the country, but yeah. my attitude is uh, you got to debate these folks. You got to go after them because where the left, in my opinion, where they want to take the country is a dangerous place particularly what they're trying to do to our First Amendment liberties. So you sort of have to fight them back. I want to, I definitely want to dive into some of those issues, but I just, on that, on that, that collegiality front, kind of the relationship you have with, especially Democrats in Congress, is it the same on camera as it is off camera? I think a lot of, a lot of people kind of wonder, you know, what are people like behind the scenes? You know, there's been, for years, we always heard stories of yeah. like, you know, Chip O'Neill and working across yeah. the aisle and, and what happens nowadays? Do Democrats and Republicans even talk to each other in the hallways? What's going down? It, uh, it's it's kind of frosty with some of uh, some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, but but uh, there there are some that you you know you and I try to be I try to be kind to everyone, say hello to everyone yeah. when you pass them in the hallway and whatever. Uh, Peter Welch, for example, is a, a a guy from Vermont. He's a big lefty, but he's he's an old school lefty who believes in the First Amendment. Um, Dennis Kucinich called me last week. Dennis is a is a friend of mine, and we're about as far apart as you can be. But Dennis is a true old school liberal who believes in. Let's have the debate. You make your argument. I'll make my argument. Let's see who wins the debate, who carries the day, whose bill passes. Uh, and then we'll, 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 get, we'll move to the next issue. And Dennis truly believes in free speech, the First Amendment. The scary thing today is, is I think so many on the left, they no longer value the First Amendment and, and your right to speak. And if we disagree, okay, that's the way it works in America. But let's have the debate. Um, so that, that to me is the, the, the real difference. And that's happened in the last decade because um, <clears throat> you, you just feel like today's left says, if you don't agree with me, you're not allowed to talk. And if you do, we're going to call you names and try to cancel you. That's not how the First Amendment's supposed to work in our country. And so that, that, that I think is a big concern and what's led to this, this, this divisiveness. So that's really interesting. Um, and I would agree, Vince and I are pretty far apart on a lot of issues, not all of them. I think there are some issues where we actually agree, but we're certainly far apart politically. But, you know, he's still someone who I consider to be a very good friend. And, you yep. know, I love his wife even more than I like him. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Me too. I, 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 I will say, um, so do you, 
you know, you are advocating for the First Amendment. Would you uh, re reject some of the things that are happening in some of our states like Texas, where they're banning books? You know, that sounds like, you know, a, a really dangerous place to go. And it seems like conservatives have been at the forefront of trying to ban books. Also, when you talk about collegiality, I know you're a big supporter of President Trump. And it seemed like he was someone who really led the charge in terms of name calling and vitriol in terms of uh, social media and social media po posts and bullying and trolling. So do you disavow yourself from those sorts of things? No, no, well, with, with I'll, go, I'll go the latter one first. Uh, with President Trump, I, I, I never see President Trump uh, uh, you know, going after someone if they unless they first come after him. Now, one, one thing he will do is he'll fight back. And I think I think so much of the country appreciates that. To your first question, that it is entirely appropriate to limit certain material from um, for children, for kids, for, you know, there's got to be an appropriate age. But as far as we, we shouldn't be getting rid of uh, uh, canceling people, uh, banning certain type of, 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 of material, we shouldn't be doing that. But when it comes to kids' education, moms and dads should be in control of what kind of curriculum, what kind of things, particularly when we're talking about younger students, what they see. So to, to equate that to somehow, we, you know, we're, so, we're, we're so limiting speech, getting rid of books. Congressman I just totally Jordan, disagree with that doing premise. That. They are doing that in Texas where there are, there are moves to take books out of libraries, public libraries, not, not children's uh, libraries, not school libraries, but public libraries. So you, you disavow the conservatives who want to do that. Well, I'd have to see the context of that and, and what the, you know, that, that's a, that's a community-based uh, standard. I'd have to see the context there. I thought you were referencing schools and it is entirely appropriate for moms and dads to be making decisions about the curriculum that their children are going to have in, in, a, a, in a public school. Uh, I thought, I thought that's what, what you were focusing on. And, and with, with regard to President Trump, it seemed like he would attack people who disagreed with him, including some of, from his own party, some people that, that were pretty staunch supporters. I'm thinking um, of former Attorney General uh, Mumbley Joe, what's his name? Bill Barr. Former, no, not Bill Barr, one before him, oh, the one who recused Jeff, Jeff Sessions. Jeff, Jeff Sessions, Sessions. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Um, uh, you know, he, he was pretty harsh in, in the words he used for people like that and, and others in within his own party. And, and you mentioned Bill Barr. Uh, do you think that's appropriate? Here's what I know about President Trump. He got more done, more, more of what he said he would do, more of what he told the voters he was going to do. Got more of that done than any president in my lifetime. Did it with everyone in this town opposed to him. Every single Democrat was against him. Everyone in the mainstream press was against him. A bunch of Republicans were against him. And maybe most importantly, everyone in the bureaucracy was against him. And in spite of that, got more of what he said he would do. Got it done. Uh, I, I remember going to the White House. They had a whiteboard in the White House there in the uh, West Wing. And they would literally list off the, the, the promises they had made during the campaign. And as they got those done, check them off, like like reducing regulation, like cutting taxes, like putting the embassy in Jerusalem, yeah. like putting conservatives on the court, like getting out of the Iran deal, getting out of the Paris yeah. Climate Accords, uh, Abraham Accord, everything they did. I, just I hear you. I hear That's you, what I appreciate. And I, and I don't I don't mean to cut you off. I, I hear what you're saying. But I, I was talking we were talking earlier about collegiality and whether it was appropriate for the president to attack people. And, and how that would affect uh, the collegial relationship between Democrats and Republicans. And I'm only asking, do you think yeah, it's appropriate some of the attacks that he made? Not, not necessarily to keep his promises. Here's what I'll tell you about President Trump. When you're around him, 
he is the one of the most kind there is an energy about him a charisma about him and when 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 there's a group of people he makes everyone feel comfortable mm. uh, i remember i remember the time he called me i, I said this at the uh, republican national uh, convention um i remember when he had called me and we had just had a death in our family our nephew had been killed in a car wreck um i was walking oh, yeah. into my brother-in-law's house and he asked me about this. He didn't know I was. He didn't know I was walking in. And I, he, because he had heard about the, the death in the family. Um, and I said, Mr. President, I'm actually walking into Eli's parents' house. And I said, you know, uh, you, obviously they don't know I'm talking to you. But if you had a few minutes to talk to a dad who was hurting, you would make a terrible day a little less terrible. And um, he said, What's his name again? And I, I told him Eli's father's name, my brother-in-law. He said, Put him on the phone. He took he took ten minutes to talk to a dad who was hurting. Um, I, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Our entire family was there. This is just two days after our nephew had lost his life in a car accident. That's the kind of person he is. That the country doesn't get to see that, and certainly the mainstream press never lets the country see that. But I've gotten a chance to see that side of the president, and um, he's an amazing guy. And I tell you what, I hope he runs again. He did more good for this country than any president, as I said, in my lifetime, maybe in a, and maybe in our country's history. Um, I, I think we could use that back in the White House, particularly in light of what we have seen in the 14 months Joe Biden's been running the things. Oh, my goodness. They've so messed think up he's every done policy. More, more than Abraham Lincoln let me, and let me, a few other presidents. But let okay, me jump in. Ahead, let me ahead, jump Vince. in here because I think this is a good opportunity for us to talk about the current uh, commander in chief. You know, there's uh, obviously I mentioned at the outset, we have a lot of domestic crises going on simultaneously. Uh, we're looking yep. at a border crisis about to get worse. Uh, inflation crisis that is pretty dramatic. We see Americans, one out of five of them, the reports this week, who can't actually make it to the next paycheck without expending all of their resources. And then of course, going into debt, that's that's awful. Uh, and then we've got uh, a, a very high stakes, fragile foreign policy um, thing that's going on right now. And the truth is Joe Biden uh, is stumbling through it. I mean, everything from calling for regime change to backing off those calls to once again, calling for it. Uh, there's There's been some chatter on the right about, you know, maybe it's time for uh, the 25th Amendment. Maybe it's time for members of the cabinet to intervene and say, we need somebody who can at least, even if we don't agree with them, have a steady hand on this crisis. Are you there? Do you think that that uh, would be a good step, Congressman Jordan? Well, here's what I know. We, we've, we've never seen anything this bad. I, I mean, you, you can pick the policy area, Vince. And Jason, I mean, it, look, we went from a secure border to complete chaos, 2 million illegal immigrants crossing our border in, in, in one year alone. We went from stable prices to record inflation, 40-year high inflation. We went from yeah. uh, energy independence to, to uh, the president begging OPEC, Iran, and Venezuela to increase production. I mean, come on, come on. We went from relatively safe cities, safe streets, to uh, record levels of crime in every major urban area. <clears throat> and then, then, then the, the, the metaphor for the Biden administration I think, or the picture that, that I think stays in people's mind is last summer when that plane was taking off in Afghanistan and you had Afghan, you had people trying to jump on the wheels of that plane to, that is a picture of just how bad it's been. I think, what is it? 63% of the country thinks we're on the wrong track. The, the real question to me is who are the 37% who think we're on the right track for goodness sake. So yeah, yeah. It, it's bad. Whether this cabinet will do that, I don't know. But every time you hear him speak, I, I don't. I, I think not only do Americans see like what is this guy doing, but I think our, our foreign adversaries see the same thing, which is also troubling and, and compounds the concern I well, think that we all have for yeah. for this administration. I, I uh, worry. I worry here because I, there's there, I have kind of conflicting uh, concerns. You know, I I, uh, I look back at the Trump era and remember that there were all sorts of bureaucrats within the administration 
who were trying to stop the president from doing yeah. from pursuing his agenda. You had Miles Taylor, who called himself anonymous in the New York Times, saying he was a high-level official. He wasn't, but it was symptomatic mm -hmm. of this notion within the administration that there needs to be bureaucratic intervention to stop the intentions of the president of the United States. Now we have Joe Biden in office, and something interesting that's happening, he'll come out and he'll say something, and the bureaucrats around him, some of the political appointees around him will say, whatever he said, he didn't mean that, and they'll back, yeah, people, they'll back people off of that position. Right. Now, I... I I don't like this. I don't like this this world where the bureaucrats are running the show and that the president's words aren't good enough. But simultaneously, and, and wait, so, so you, you don't think that happened no, no, no. during the last administration that that people tried to clean up the president's words. I, That's what I I'm saying. They did. No, I no, no, call no, that happening a lot. Constantly. No, no, Jason, you're not you're missing my point. I'm saying that happened constantly. And so I don't like that for any president. But simultaneously, I'm very concerned well, with this president's leadership. Well, yeah, I, I get I get both points. Um, and you're right about these these unelected officials. I, I've, I've said many times in speeches, um, uh, when did when did Dr. Fauci ever put his name on a ballot? Right. When did he ever go out and talk to we the people and actually run for office, talk to constituents? But he's the highest paid official in our in our government and frankly, run ran our lives for the last year and a half. Um, and, and, and put all kinds of restrictions on our liberty because, you know, the same Fauci, whatever he said, it seemed like Democrat elected officials then were going to do what he said, but he was never elected. So these, these unelected experts are not supposed to make policy in this country. It's supposed to be those individuals directly accountable to we the people, right. the people whose names are on the ballot get elected to office. They're supposed to make the decision. So I could not, that is a fundamental constitutional principle. Yeah. So I, the only thing is like, there, there are a couple of things that, that were stated that I think need a little bit of context. Um, first of all, and you know, the, one of the things that I can't stand is when we, we get so partisan that I feel like I have to defend, you know, people that I don't necessarily want to defend, but I will say this, uh, in terms of, uh, un, but you're going to do it anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you because I, I think things need truth. And, and I think we need to add actual context when people start spouting off. Cause I, I actually heard you recently say the exact same line in another show, Congressman, where you, where you said, uh, you know, who are the other 37%? I heard you say yeah. those exact well, same, that exact same talking. But, but, but it's, it's a, but, it's a but good listen, point though, Jason. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a fair point, but I'm saying like, it's, it's, it read like a script. Like I, yeah. I could are you demand, Jason, are you demanding fresh content? Is that what I want demanding? fresh content, <laughs> <laughs> but no, 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 Congressman. Um, first of all, you know, the last time that we had a surge in immigration, in my in unauthorized migration was 2019. And that was the highest surge in migration in 11 years. And that, as a matter of fact, was under, of course, the leadership of well, President that, no, Trump. That's not true. The biggest, no, that is very accurate. true. Hold, hold on. Hold what's on. accurate is what's happened in the last year. That's yeah, the no, highest no, surge. No, that, that, prior to oh. that, we had another okay, surge in 2019. Okay, I got it. I got uh, it. We, we had a surge in 2019. And then it dropped really low. Now that wasn't because of leadership, that was because the world shut down in 2020. We also know that it started to gradually rise up uh, as the world started to open up or you know, people started to take more opportunities and chances. It literally followed yeah. the, the path of the virus. No, that's not, uh, that's, not that's, that's absolutely accurate. We can put, hopefully, you know, I don't know if the Daily Caller would be willing to do it, but we can put a graphic up. I can send you a graphic. But- well, but and, and with you're forgetting important policy that went in place too 
in the Trump era, which was the remain in Mexico policy that our government had negotiated with Mexico to say, we're gonna have we're gonna have people trying to get into our country seeking asylum, seeking refugee status, or just coming here. We're gonna have them remain in Mexico until we check it out and see if it's legit. That's a good policy that was in place, and the Biden administration has moved away from that. That is Title 42 is still in place. Title 42 is still they're getting they're getting ready to get rid of that. Yeah, but now, I, I, now, the remain in Mexico policy is different than Title 42. Yeah, sure. And that 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 has the, the Biden administration has taken that away. That is a huge problem. And understand what took place in the Biden administration was uh, a year ago. March was the highest month on record for illegal crossings until April. And then April was the highest month until May. And then May was the highest month. It just kept going up, yeah. which tells you it was deliberate. It was intentional. So let me ask you this. Do you think that uh, encounters uh, means that the system is working or the system is not working? Because obviously, if they're encountering Border Patrol, that means that Border Patrol is actually doing what Border Patrol is supposed to do, right? Well, yes and no, because right now what's happening, I've been to the border. I've been to the border a couple of times. I don't know if sure. you guys have, but I've been to the border. Right now, what our Border Patrol agents are largely uh, functioning as is processors. They're not like enforcing the border, keeping people from illegally entering our country. People are just coming and they're, they're, they're processing people. You saw that at the Del Rio Bridge a few months ago when you saw that huge number of, 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 of migrants coming in camped under the Del Rio Bridge. What they were doing is just trying to move them through as quickly as possible. And we know that when you do it that way, and that's the Biden administration policy, when you do it that way, people who, who aren't supposed to get into our country are getting through, namely some really bad guys. And not so, to mention, so, when you're focused on processing all these people coming in, some of them are gonna get through, the, get through who are bad people. You're missing the, t over here, you got the drugs coming in, the fentanyl that's doing so much damage to so many communities around our country. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I'm glad you, you brought up fentanyl because uh, I think that is a major problem, but there, have been, there were more drugs seized in the last five months of President Trump than there were in the first four months of President Biden. Now, only thing that I'll say about that is that might be people doing their job. I'm not necessarily right, saying they, that that says anything about President yep. Trump or President Biden. But I right. think one of the things that gets, you know, really, you know, when people start making uh, a lot of these partisan talking points is that they're not acknowledging that these are, you know, that some of these things are just processes that we're, that we're experiencing. Now, I, I do want to talk a little bit about but, but inflation. Jason, but Jason. Now, is inflation a global issue or is it just uh, something that the United States is experiencing? Well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, there's, I'm sure there's some global implications as well. But what I know is what's happening in our country. Right. You got a 40 year high inflation mm -hmm. and real wages aren't keeping pace with the rising cost of the goods and services people have to purchase in their daily lives. I mean, right. and, and cheap among those is the price of energy. And we know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Biden policies have contributed to the spike in energy costs. Certainly what's happening in Ukraine is added to that as well, but the price was already going way up prior to Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So that, that energy is, is drives so much of it, everything else because you gotta move goods around. That's just how our economy works. And if it costs more to move them and the energy used to produce them, that's, that's a problem. And that's why we're seeing this 40 year high uh, spike in prices, not to mention all the money that's been thrown into well, our economy and the spending by the Democrats. So again, uh, you would say that other countries like Japan, which is experiencing record inflation, the EU, which is experiencing record inflation, 
that, you know, the fact that China is is locking down still, they're locking down, I think I read they were locking down Shanghai. So they're, they're still locking down major cities that, of course, is affecting global supply chains. You're blaming that on President Biden and not no. on the fact that this is a, a global issue. No, I'm blaming the price of the price of it. Here are the facts. The price of energy has, has went up dramatically. And so much of that is decisions that they made and, and messages they sent to the market. When you tell the market we're going to stop the pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline, you tell the market we're going to shut down Anwar, you tell the market we're, we're, we're not going to have as much leasing on federal lands, uh, that sends a message. And because it is a global commodity, that's going to that's going to drive up price. That has, in fact, happened. When you flood the economy with cash like the Bidens have done, he just proposed the largest budget in history, $5.8 trillion budget with all kinds of tax, largest tax increases in history. That's on top of all the money that they've spent over the last year um, relative to COVID yeah. uh, with a bunch of 300 some billion that we can't even uh, still out there that hasn't been spent. So when you do all that, you're going to drive up the cost of goods and services. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, the, there's, I, I think, a couple of things jumped to mind in Jason's point about the global economy. It does make sense, I think, that the United States being the world's number one economy, if we are yep. experiencing rampant inflation, the interconnected nature of the planet means that every other country is going to feel that sure. too. So when it sure. comes to the American dollar, especially when we are the global reserve currency, whatever policies happen right here in Washington, that will have long that will have far-reaching impact globally yeah. on other other countries' inflationary yeah. experiences. Uh, so the number two economy is that China. has two billion people that probably has an effect as well. Yeah, and no, so, no question. This is a multivariate thing. But right. look, look, look at what Larry Summers has been saying, former Obama. Uh, treasury yeah. official. He's mm -hmm. been out saying this has been the government spending in concert with the Fed's easy money has made this massive inflation spike. And so it, what I want to ask you, Congressman Jordan, is about kind of the thinking, the ideological thinking among Republicans and kind of how this has affected them. Because remember, during the Trump era, there was some debate among the populists and the national conservatives about kind of increasing government spending to direct it towards programs that conservatives cared about. Right. And so even, you know, Mitt Romney at one point, although I wouldn't really call him a nationalist or populist, but he did come right. along with a like a child tax credit proposal, if you recall. Uh, and it was about spending more money, basically getting more federal money out the door to American families to help encourage the growth of American families. Uh, do you think there's still energy for that? Or do you think some re Republicans are beginning to reconsider those flirtations in light of the well, fact that it looks like the government spending played a massive role in inflation. Yeah, I mean, look, the government spending, it, it, it's its a problem just in and of itself. We got a $30 trillion debt. Um, it, you know, the Fed's talking about moving interest rates up a little bit, a quarter per, of, a, of a point, maybe even more. Yeah. Uh, each full point you move up the, the interest rate results in 300 billion more in debt service, just to service that huge debt. Yes. That is a, that's a lot of money. So um, there's there's concern there too, just in general with this this huge debt. So I, I'm always nervous about more government spending. I think we have to have good tax policy that lets hardworking people keep their money, not give it to government where it's going to get wasted and spent. We just saw this story. I think it was an NBC story that 250 billion dollars they can't find was either lost or stolen of all the COVID money thrown out there. And right. then there's 300 billion unspent. Biden wants 22 billion more. And he just proposed a $5.8 trillion budget with the largest tax increases in American history. That is going to make matters worse. And Larry Summers will be you know, saying the same thing he's saying now, only it'll be worse. So yeah, I'm very nervous about that. We need good sound tax policy that lets moms and dads and families and business owners 
keep more of their money to replow back into their family and their community and their business. That's just good basic sense. The one thing I think that was so important that President Trump did though, is, is I've always thought we should be a populist party rooted in conservative principle. We're the party that believes in the Constitution, the First Amendment, protecting the Second Amendment. Moms and dads know better about their kids' education. That's why we're for school choice. Moms and dads make better decisions than government. Let families keep more of their money, keep tax rates low. That's just good, sound policy. But also this populist idea that, look, we should be about making sure America first, make America great again. That is a good thing. And, and that's why you see all kinds of people coming to the Republican Party. I think there's a, uh, there was a great piece in the journal a couple of weeks ago. There is a realignment happening in our country. The Democrat Party is quickly becoming the party of the super wealthy and people who don't work. And the Republican Party is becoming the party of everybody else. That's why you see union workers in Youngstown, Ohio, now voting for President Trump. That it, that it never happened until the last couple of elections. That's why you saw Ohio go for Trump in 2016 by eight and a half points and in 2020 by eight and a half points. That never has happened before. So that's the new dynamic. We are becoming the populist pro-America party of everybody else. And the, and, the, and the left, which now controls the Democrat party, is the party of the super wealthy and frankly, a lot of people who just aren't willing to work. Yeah, I think that's interesting, given that, um, you know, the tax plan that we're that uh, Joe Biden is putting forth is one that taxes the super wealthy a whole lot. But and also, um, you know, the fact that President Trump's tax plan actually saved the super wealthy a lot of money. But I also think um, that, you know, when when you were talking about um, you were talking about President Trump and how you like conservative principles. Isn't it true that President Trump increased our deficit? Because I remember, you know, in the 80s, I'm, I'm that old. I remember in the 80s, conservatives, it was all about deficits. They all, you know, liberals want to spend too well, much money. And, and uh, President Trump increased our deficit uh, by almost $8 trillion. Um, now you can argue. I, I'm. I might be. I might understand where you're coming from if you're saying Joe Biden wants to add to that eight trillion. But that eight trillion uh, was the has. highest. Was the third highest in history, uh, behind you know presidents who are usually dealing with wars, including Abraham Lincoln, who you know I would disagree that President Trump has done more for the country than Abraham Lincoln. Uh, but you know I, I still think that there's a you know, that's an interesting kind of contradiction there. Or is that a contradiction? Am I, do I have it mixed well, up? Well, no, no, you're right. We, we, there were, there were deficits in, in uh, the, the time that President Trump was president each year, did contribute to the debt, the, the debt went up. But you got to remember, it wasn't, Republicans weren't in charge of all government and spending starts in, in the Congress. So we were able to get the tax cuts done in the first, uh, first two years of President Trump's uh, tenure in office. And then the Democrats took control, and then then it's tougher. Uh, and and yeah, uh, since President Biden's in an been in office, he has contributed tremendously to the debt. And you just saw the largest budget budget request uh, in American history with his 5.8 trillion that he uh, rolled out this past week. Let me let me uh, shift gears. I want to get to a topic that I know you have a lot of interest in uh, this week. Uh, the Washington Post becomes the latest news outlet to confirm that the Hunter Biden laptop was authentic. Uh, and uh, the New York Times did the same thing last week. It was the first acknowledgement by the New York Times. This follows on Politico having done that 
like midway through last year said that they claim that they authenticated the emails. I, I think it's enough now. Everyone's authenticated the emails. Yeah. The, the Daily yeah. Caller, I should point out here, authenticated the emails in October of 2020. That was <laughs> prior to right. the election. Right. Uh, we, we, when it we counted. Talked to, we talked to all the cyber experts. We were able to confirm these are real, the real, the real thing. Yeah. Um, where do we go beyond that? That seems like a great starter question, but this is a pretty late in the process. What, what comes next? Now, I mean, we try to get the truth. Like, like so often our job in Congress is to try to get the truth to the American people. We had the truth. You guys had the truth. Uh, but big tech, I mean, we just got two letters going out today uh, to, uh, to, to some of the big tech companies uh, asking them, who all did you talk to? What information, you know, why did you suppress this information and keep it from the American? Because that's what happened. Big tech, big media, and big Democrat party all colluded, along with 51 former Intel uh, officials yeah. saying that this was Russian disinformation, when in fact the disinformation was what the Rus was what these 51 uh, Intel people were telling us, what, the, what big tech and big media and big Democrats were telling us. So yeah, the laptop was real. Um, the eyewitness, Tony Bobolinsky was real. The emails were real. 10% for the big guy was real. Um, you know, the same big guy who was telling the prosecutor in Ukraine, don't prosecute Barisma, the, the folks that run this company, the same company that was paying his son lots of money. I mean, that's all real. And we said this a year and a half ago um, and they kept it from us. So we're, we're gonna try to get to the truth. That's our job. It's our constitutional duty as the legislative branch. But, um, you know, I guess it's kind of nice that maybe now the mainstream press is actually admitting that it was real. But this is a pattern. Well, what they do you think was the impetus? That, that, what, what was the impetus for now? I mean, it's, it's kind of strange that the New York Times and the Washington great Post question. chose these great two question. weeks just right back to back to say that the emails are authentic. What, yeah, what's great, happening there? The, the, it, I mean, your hunch is, and my, my guess by the, it's a great question you asked, and you're, you're probably thinking the same thing, is, is there must be something bigger coming. There must be something more. I mean, we know, but of course, according to news reports, the Justice Department is looking into Hunter Biden's tax situation, tax liability, and was there right. some concerns there? But that, you know, we sort of we sort of knew that. So what else is there? What is there something bigger coming? Uh, I don't know. But um, I, I asked the same question. Why now? And why are they? I mean, there was the post yesterday had two stories, multiple long stories, um, multiple pages that that delved into this. So uh, something's happening. There's a reason for it. I don't think it's just all oh, out of the goodness of our heart. We finally realized we were wrong. I was getting ready to say too, Vince that and, and Jason that. Um, this is a pattern. They always accuse, uh, accuse us of disinformation when in fact we're giving the truth and they're the ones with the disinformation. I mean, they did the same thing with the dossier and the Russia Mueller, all that, all that investigation. Yeah. Um, so time and time again, they, they, they accuse so, us of what actually turns out, what we're saying turns out to be the truth. So what the, the, you're right in that I'm, that I'm suspecting that there may be some Justice Department action coming on... Um, Maybe. on Hunter Biden in the near term. Well, I'll believe it when I see it. But uh, one of your colleagues, the ranking member on the Oversight Committee, Congressman James Comer, I asked him about this recently, and he started indicating that the Justice Department investigation is a lot hotter than people realize. And, um, and, and I said, well, we've known for a while, Politico had reported, I think in December of 2020, about the, you know, the, the Justice Department inquiry into his taxes and the money yep. that he's taking and whether or not he adequately paid his taxes. Um, James Comer told me, he said uh, that that non-public information has revealed to him that this is way bigger than people um, realize that yeah. the Justice Department is very much digging into him. Uh, I think it's interesting, one, because I think a lot of conservatives would reflexively believe there's no way the Justice Department is going to 
uh, give us yeah. anything on Hunter Biden. This is it's Joe Biden. It's corrupt. But maybe it's maybe it's possible that Biden is actually maintaining at least a wall of separation on this issue and that there could be something interesting popping out. Well, it, it, that would it, I don't know if that's the case, but if, if it is the case, it would sort of make sense why you're seeing this come from the post now. And maybe maybe it's a lot worse than we think. Maybe there's something really big. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll just I, I, I we're just going to wait and uh, wait and see what we what we find out here. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I think it does seem like there's some sort of wall of separation. I, I don't know. Again, I, I, I don't know. And Vince knows very well that I could give two, you know, bird turds about Hunter Biden one way or the other. Like that guy, he could go to jail. He could, you know, I, I mean, I wish him well, like I wish all human beings well. But, you know, I, I, I don't think that and I don't think that Democrats or people on the left are coming out to defend Hunter Biden. Um, and it looks like President Biden no, has a- not interfered. He hasn't gone and tried to fire a prosecutor. He hasn't even mulled the issue, um, which, you know, there was debate about the, you know, the situation with Mueller, which, by the way, that investigation was not supposed to be into President Trump. And it wasn't about President Trump. It was about whether Russia interfered in our uh, elect to 2016 election, which it found that they did. Well, Jason, um, you should have you should have told that to Adam Schiff and all the people who who told us there was more than circumstantial evidence that President Trump colluded with Russia. There was zero evidence and there was zero findings that that took place. So you should have told that yeah. to the people doing the investigation if that's what it was really about. Yeah, they, they couldn't find the evidence. I, I, and I'll say this. I, I was saying it. Well, Democrats don't listen to me, but I was saying that <laughs> as well. Uh, you know, uh, when when it was happening, that the, the evidence wasn't there. And it was mainly because uh, Bob Woodward, who is probably the greatest journalist of our time or the, or the most accomplished journalist, said it wasn't there, said he looked at it. Yeah. And he didn't he couldn't it, find it, any it, evidence. And he found Jason, evidence it, it, of all kinds of things that Trump didn't said, but he didn't was, find the evidence for that. It not only wasn't there, it was all political. It was all made up. We know that now from the Durham report. And, oh, by the way. Well, Jason, the by the way, the FEC, the, the, FEC, the FEC just fined the Clinton campaign like a million bucks. That story just happened this week because yeah. they made this stuff up. So you got the FEC fight. It was everyone's coming clean now. Now it's been like, you know, six years ago. But even <laughs> yeah. even the FEC goes after the Clinton campaign. You guys lied to us. This was political. The dossier, all it was garbage. All done for political reasons. So they that even the FEC finally got around to doing the right thing, and they yeah. find the Clinton campaign a million let me, bucks. Yeah. Let me I mean, jump in on something that. Issue. Let me but jump I, in. I on do want to make one point. One, one talking point. Okay, go ahead. You know, since uh, uh, Congressman Jordan uh, <laughs> was saying, you know, that Democrats are the party of the super wealthy and the super poor. I think it was something you said, and everybody else. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm fine with being the party of the, of the super of the poor. Uh, but I will say this. Um, and he mentioned I didn't Ohio, say the poor. I said Ohio, people who don't work. Ohio uh, going for President Trump twice. And, you know, I, I'll concede that. But one of the things that we did see is Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin not going for President Trump. And so that would kind of belie this idea that uh this is that the Republicans are the party point was, for, for everyone. My else. point was, you're seeing is you're seeing a, a shift, and 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 look, let's let's be. We, we saw this two weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw the disdain that the left now has for working class, middle class people in flyover country. Uh, you, you know, you saw uh, Buttigieg said, "Oh, if you don't like four dollar gas, 
you know, get, buy an electric vehicle. Okay, tell that to tell that to farmers and manufacturers. So I get the privilege of representing in the fourth district of Ohio. You, you had uh, uh, Colbert says, I don't care if gas goes to 15 bucks. I drive a Tesla. Oh, okay. Let 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 the folks in the fourth district of Ohio let them eat cake. Was his attitude. You had Anderson Cooper say uh, Trump supporters eat at the Olive Garden and stay at the Marriott. Um, which, by the way, is a pretty good weekend for folks that, <laughs> that I represent. Yeah. But, but that's that, that's the that's the arrogant right. elitist. You you had P, you yeah, had Col Peter Col Struck. Colbert represents Democrat. I'm, I'm not. You so had sure. Peter like, Struck. You I'm, had Peter Struck say uh, uh, the tr Trump voters. He's in the Walmart. Text message, Anderson Lisa Page. Cooper. Anderson Cooper's said, a Vanderbilt. I'm talking about the left. <laughs> you know I'm mean? talking like, about. He's, to, he's I said today's left. left. Yeah, today's left. And I said, uh, Peter Strzok says, uh, I mean, he's in the Walmart. He said, I can smell the Trump supporters. The Democrats, when they brought in Professor Carlin uh, to the impeachment hearings uh, as one of their expert witnesses, they brought in Professor Carlin. And one of her statements she had made was uh, uh, liberals tend to cluster where conservatives spread out because they don't even like themselves. I mean, that is the attitude that the left has for the good folks that, that I get to represent uh, and, and for people like me and our family, th that is their attitude. And everyone knows that. So the, this elitist attitude yeah. that we're better I, than everyone else, that is the attitude of the left. And I'm telling you, that that doesn't sell well with the American people. Yeah, um, and that's I, I why you're you. seeing middle class people, working class but, people come to the Republican but, Party. But see, see, Congressman, here is the divide. And I hope Vince will, will agree with me. You're talking about media elitists, which are on both sides because we can talk about the people over at the conservative networks who make millions of dollars a year. Uh, unfortunately, Vince and I have not made it there yet. Uh, but the conservative uh, people who you know and you're pretty cozy with, I'm sure, because I know them, you know. Um, and then the people over like, you know, Anderson Cooper and Colbert, who also make millions of dollars a year. And, you know, what, what I'm talking about is Democrats who are in Southwest Atlanta. Democrats who are in rural Arizona, Democrats who are in West Philadelphia, yeah. where I'm from, Democrats who are in New York City and Harlem, another place where I was born. Like those are the places, you know, people in Roxbury, where my wife is from. Those are working class people. You know what I mean? And, and I think for, they're coming. And I think they're coming that, to the to Republican Party. They don't Party. want to work. Is frustrating. You know? No, no, me. no. I, I never said that. I think those. I think there are all kinds of hardworking people. I think they're coming to the Republican. That's my point. McAllen, yeah. Texas just elected McAllen, Texas on the board, just elected a Republican as mayor. They're, they are tired of the left's policies and they, they, they are come, moms and dads, African-American, Hispanic-American, all kinds of American moms and dads are now saying, I don't want these these liberal elites telling me what's best for my kid in school. I think as a parent, I know what's best for my kid in school. And you're seeing you're seeing more and more families from all walks of life come towards the Republican Party. That, that's that's my point. Everybody else is a big is a, is a huge amount of people. They're coming our way because they embrace the policies of empowering moms and dads making decisions about their kids. Not I mean, some elitist school board and treating parents as domestic terrorists like the Justice Department's that, doing. That's now. fair. But but I think it's a bad idea to use media elites as a as representative. Uh, can I can I jump in here? The left I, or the right. I'm not like, going to talk about, you know, and Jason. say that. The people that I know in, in West Virginia and, and Western Maryland, that they are represented by. I wasn't, it was, Jason, it wasn't just on me. I used the Secretary of Transportation. He's the one saying, hey, if you don't like $4 gas, $5 gas, go buy a electric vehicle. And, and okay, what, he, I do, he got, we got elected got 50, by people in a working 50, class city. $50,000 $50, laying around. We'll do that.
Yeah, I mean, uh, he got a, he got elected by by people in a working class midwest midwestern city. You know, you know what I'm discovering something that they agreed with. But, but you, go ahead, you, Vince. You know what I'm discovering is that the two of you don't agree on a whole bunch. But you know, but I am, <laughs> but I'm very grateful. I, we, I we've got to go because the congressman's got a busy schedule ahead of him. Uh, so C Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so right. much yeah. for spending some time with us. Let, I really appreciate it. Let me just say that. thank thank you, Jim, for, uh, I'll for coming come, out. I love it. I'll come back. And yeah. yeah, definitely come back. And you know, maybe if I see you in DC, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll wrestle and then we'll no, have lunch dinner. together. You guys something. come to you guys when you're in town. When, when, when I see Vince, but when you're in town, Jason, we'll we'll we'll, we'll grab dinner. And it'll be Absolutely. on me. Absolutely, sounds good, Jim. All right, Thanks see you guys. Lot. Thanks. Thank you, sir.